0: Welcome to Your Podcast or Mine, where the creative minds behind the mic are interviewed. Now, let's get things started. Here's your host, Sherry.
1: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Your Podcast or Mine. I'm Sherry. Today, I'm speaking with Nate Dufort, the creator, editor, and producer Elise Parisian, host, and Ellie Riley, head writer of the podcast Unspookable. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks so much for having us.
1: Thank you. Why don't we get things started by giving a brief description of Unspookable for those who may not have heard the show.
0: Unspookable is a look at the science, the history, and the power dynamics behind urban legends and scary stories for a middle-grade audience.
1: So it's a family-friendly look at the myths and legends and the the spooky things that are out and about, so to speak, right?
0: (laughs) Very much so.
1: (laughs) So, how was the team assembled for this podcast?
0: I'll take this one. Uh, so, the idea came from a conversation I had with my ten-year-old daughter. Ten-year-old now, she was eight years old when it began, and she's really our first official team member of the show. As she came home from school talking about uh, Bloody Mary one day and wanting to try that in the bathroom mirror and. I sat her down and said, "Hey, we have some things that we should probably look into with that." So really the idea came from an 8-year-old brain at that point and a lot of the stories told, you know, on the playground at school. From there, I started you know, talking to Eleanor Riley Condit, who's been my creative partner in so many ways, about the show and just kind of beating out what that could be. And then we were looking for a research intern. We knew there was going to be tons and tons of research going into the show itself. And that's originally where we found Elise, you know, I've done so much radio, so much podcasting in my life, but ultimately didn't feel like my voice was the right fit for this show. So, I just had a hunch that if we put Elise on microphone that she might have every single thing we are looking for for the show. So we did a a quick mic test with Elise, put together a pilot, and I couldn't have been happier. So we have Eleanor as the writer, Elise as the host, and then myself as producer and editor.
1: Well, I'm... I have listened to quite a few of the episodes, and some of the subject matter is a little bit creepy. Uh, for example, the Slender Man. My sister and her kids li- live in Wisconsin, and, and the incident took place there, and it was in the news. So I'm sure a lot of kids had a lot of questions about that. But the way that the group of you tackle those subjects is well done and well thought out, because I I wouldn't have even known how to approach that subject.
2: Yeah, it's it's tricky at first because as an adult, when I'm doing research for any of these episodes and like working on writing them, I'm thinking about all of the themes and questions that I have and, and I'm digging into research that's like, getting pretty dark sometimes, but I know that there are these kernels of truth that I think kids can handle. So a big part of my writing process is just, is to sort of take these large ideas and just make them appropriate for the age. And then also just digestible in terms of where middle graders are at developmentally. And I think it's possible. It's just, uh, it can be tricky, but it's also really fun. It's a fun, writing project to try to translate it for families.
1: Yes. And to step into the mind of a child too, <laughs> to, to get their perspective and try to decipher that. It's probably an interesting process too. Yeah,
2: it is. It's it's funny because I think about how I was also like, when Nate's daughter was talking about Bloody Mary You know, that was also a fascination that I had at exactly her age and (laughs) some friends and I had a sleepover, tried to, you know, conjure her and I was just very like taken with the whole thing. And I can still remember that feeling and still think about how important it is not to condescend to that or patronize that or treat it as if it's not real because, the fact of the matter is, like, maybe we don't believe in Bloody Mary anymore, but for many adults, there are plenty of things that we believe in that require, you know, some leaps of imagination. And those are all normal things at any stage of life. And it, it's fun to treat those things with respect and curiosity and just feel like I can allow like, kids to hear their own thoughts expressed in the show.
1: Right. Like, I know as a child that the Bloody Mary thing at sleepovers or, or campfires was a, a big story. Also, I had this obsession with vampires. <laughs> I may have seen a, a Dracula movie, but I kept having this recurring Dream. I don't want to call it a nightmare because it really wasn't scary, but a vampire would chase me around a big castle. So <laughs> it was like this recurrent dream that I had from the time I was ten until I was about thirteen or fourteen. But that's the whole other story. <laughs> I don't want to get to my <laughs> psyche, but <laughs> but I kind of wish that something like this was around because uh, as a child, because you wonder like, what well, is this? really real and is something bad going to happen yeah I feel
3: like it's nice I feel like it's nice to be able to give names to some of the unknowns that I think we get to talk about a lot on the show and how much we impose narratives onto just something we don't understand or something that's unclear in our world so that's been something really cool for me to get to name that for my inner child that lived long ago and also for my present self who still gets scared sometimes
1: Right. (laughs) So uh, where did you locate the children who speak about the myths and legends and all around creepy things? Are are they children that you know, or were they cast for
0: it? Uh, We've gotten surprisingly lucky. You know, a lot of us work in the arts and theater scenes here in New York. Uh, even in Los Angeles a little bit. So we have a lot of friends that are having children that are coming into our age range right now. I mentioned my daughter Blythe earlier, you know, she was one of the first kids because of her interest in all things spooky, and wanting to understand, you know, where those fears come from, and how media and a lot of things that she takes in and influence those fears. So we knew right away that we were going to cast her in that. And then it was really just uh, after we did our first season in September, October 2018, more and more children we realized were listening to it than we had even really imagined at the beginning. And it was, became really easy to cast from our extended friend pool.
1: Oh, that's very neat. <laughs> Which leads me to what compelled the three of you to become involved with podcasting or to become a podcaster?
0: Well, I'd say that that started with me originally. About four years ago, I had long time been a producer, director, and actor with a pretty well known comedy institution. And as I was looking for a change in my life, I wanted to maintain a lot of the relationships and working partnerships that I had. And I started a a very short-lived podcast about that transition out of one career and into another, which really became about me documenting my change of mediums and getting back into audio after having done radio in high school and in college. And with that, I started up a lot of partnerships in audio doing comedy podcasts, and then was very lucky to get uh, connected to a lot of other shows just based on the success of some of the comedy podcasts that we were doing. So, you know, working on some podcasts in social justice and some political podcasts, some incredibly well-known and others, you know, that were really just trying to find an audience as they went on. And as a voice actor as well, I'm regularly voicing... You know, three or four shows, which has been great for me. And I just love the medium. I love the community of podcasting. I love the democratization of content, the fact that there aren't necessarily gatekeepers can allow for more diverse voices across every spectrum, particularly with age, which is what started pulling me into podcasting for middle graders and young audiences as well. But there really is something about the fact that anyone and everyone with a voice, with an opinion can do this. And no one can tell them not to. That's something that's really important to me.
3: That's interesting because I actually didn't know your story of how you got into podcasting. And for me, it was similarly about transition. I was in art school studying printmaking. And as part of my practice, I started collecting ghost stories and got really interested in building community and connecting through storytelling. And started to realize that maybe 2D media wasn't quite right for me. And so I went online and started looking for podcasting opportunities to continue the storytelling, and that's how I found the call for Unspookable for the research intern, and it just sort of all fell into place
2: from there. I work primarily in theater, and I realized when Nate and I were first talking about this show that this could be, I mean, podcasting in general could be, just another way for me to craft stories in a specific form. And even if I didn't know the form super well, I had Nate and Elise to help me figure it out. And that the stories that I'm telling here, because of who they're for and what they are, um, everything else sort of fell into place just because I care so much about the content. It was easy to learn about the form.
1: Right. So, uh, Unspookable is on the Kids Listen Network as well. What is that network? When did that affiliation begin?
0: Great. So, Kids Listen is an organization, well-curated children's programming across all age ranges for children. So, that's everything from shows for the youngest of the young to fall asleep to, to young elementary school, middle graders, or even tweens, as they're oftentimes called, up until, you know, uh, young teenagers there. And there's all kinds of great shows represented there, many larger network shows. And then ours uh, is the first show on an audio network I started called Soundsington Media, where we'll have three or four shows by the end of 2020. But Kids Listen is where we have found so many friends and fellow children's audio makers, as well as just found a great support group for people that have had, you know, similar challenges in breaking into this audience. Because of course, we're not going to spend our time or energy marketing to kids. One, because we're not going to be advertising on television or in children's magazines, but also it's kind of gross it's icky to market you know directly to kids so we're trying to go to parents within our age range as well to say hey we're doing something a little bit different or at least we like we'd like to think so with our show as far as creating something that the family can talk about that has specifically diverse audience in mind with a very anti-racist, anti-xenophobic, very feminist approach to telling what others would just simply see as scary stories and something where we want to address the power dynamics behind it. And as we've talked to some of our new friends at Kids Listen, we found that there are a lot of people having some of the same struggles in finding that audience. And luckily, It seems like we're all kind of finding that audience together right now. And in that way, all ships are rising. They've been great for us.
1: As you mentioned, Unspookable is made by your media group, Soundsington Media. What does 2020 have in store for Unspookable? And you mentioned there are other projects in the works. Can you elaborate a little bit?
0: Well, they're mostly top secret. No, we can absolutely talk about them. (laughs) Uh, As far as Unspookable goes, we're looking at some pretty exciting media partnerships right now. We typically plan on two six to eight episode seasons per year, and that's to allow us to get our research and our story making to make sure we're addressing not just the history of the topics that we're taking on, but also making sure that uh, we understand why one might be scared of those topics and and we really do our due diligence in that time and research. We don't want to commit at this time to more than 12 to 16 episodes or so per year. So as far as unspookable goes, we should have another season in the spring. And then our hottest time of year is right around Halloween when we tend to have our biggest numbers, our biggest audience and most press coverage. And then as far as Soundsington Media, we always have a few more shows in the works Eleanor wrote a great first season of an audio drama, uh, which the only reason it hasn't been released yet is truly just my schedule in putting all the final pieces together. But we have a show called Eddie, which I'll let her kind of explain the premise of a little bit more. As again, it was another idea that I had that she really brought to life.
2: So Eddie is about a girl in middle school who is a known detective in her middle school. People are always asking her to help them solve different problems, different cases, and she takes this really seriously. And she has this younger brother whose nickname is Cheese, and he's kind of like her tech guy. He's always helping her out with stuff. And one day they get a mysterious recording that they think is a prank. And it turns out that An alien is trying to contact them, and they start to unravel this series of just super deep conspiracy in their town around these beings that are being kept in their town. And we kind of like to think of it as an X-Files type thing for kids. Yeah, it's really fun, and I'm really looking forward to uh, it getting out in the world.
0: And that was great because I got to cast that show from the pool of actors that I've worked with off and on for years in the Chicago comedy community. And then we're looking at bringing some pretty exciting young voices uh, to the table for our leads on that as well. And then another show that I'm working with, with some great partnerships, is a show about uh, space. And we have some really exciting guests coming up for that. Next year is the 50th anniversary of Apollo 13, and we already have committed some some really exciting guests from the world of NASA and space travel to be talking about that, and talking about the next phase of space travel in commercial space flight. Potential space vacations. So, we've got great guests lined up for that. And I think that that'll have some similar storytelling to Unspookable, but also be a little bit more like a variety show in that we will segment that out so it moves really quickly, can be educational, but be incredibly fun the entire way. And we've got some great friends from the Chicago comedy community hosting that one as well in partnership with my friend Sandy Marshall up in Toronto. So, We're excited about those shows, and then we have another one that's a little bit secret right now, but we'll look at that in the fall of next year.
1: Awesome. I'm looking forward to those. I I love everything space, so (laughs) that'll be interesting. So um, getting into the podcasting part of it, what would you say that podcasting has done to improve or change your life for the positive?
3: will go around um well I feel like it's done quite a few things for me it changed my relationship to my art practice a lot and I got really into storytelling it confirmed a lot of what I was interested in doing in the studio that just wasn't translating well in a gallery setting Um, So it allowed me to do that. And actually now I was just talking to Nate about how I'm looking forward to transitioning into marriage and family therapy, because I've been thinking a lot about these stories that we tell and how the stories and trauma and all these different things trickle down to the children and affect them and affect the whole family system. And I think there's a lot of work that can be done to help root out some of the harmful messages that are translating down.
0: And then podcasting for me, it's given me, um, after years and years of producing uh, high volume comedy shows, podcasting has given me a way to maintain not just the relationships that I've had as a lot of these actors are Blowing up and getting, you know, significant time and film and television now, but also to extend that friend base into the greater audio drama, audio fiction community. I feel like I've made an entirely new family from participating in some of these shows, as well as some of the work in social justice podcasting that we've been doing I feel like it has really extended, not just the pool of people that I work with, but extended the pool of people I call friends or even family at this point. So podcasting has really given me a full other creative career around audio, which has been really exciting for me.
2: I grew up in a super hardcore NPR household, you know, just on all the time, and I remember my you know, my little mind being blown all the time by like things that that I would hear. And then as soon as I, as podcasting started to become popular, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly that. It's, it's information and, and stories and connection all at your fingertips, except now I can look for exactly what I want and who I want. And this thing that Nate talks about, about gatekeeping is, actually really amazing because it's so wonderful to be able to hear so many different voices at the you know click of a button basically and to be able to dive into so many worlds and I feel like it's what I seek in theater also except the you know the medium is naturally a bit more limited being live and and here I've found this just this huge network and huge community of ideas that are right at my fingertips, which I just think is so cool.
0: But we yeah, can't be too you... selfish with this, Sherry. We we need to hear your answer as well. What's podcasting done for you?
1: Oh, uh, well, uh, definitely. The, the first thing is that podcasting is so super niche now, and I love it. I love that you can find a podcast about literally like underwater basket weaving if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> or uh if you want to know the deep-rooted history of a particular beetle, there's something out there for you. So, Yeah. <laughs> and also the community is super supportive. I have uh worked in the music business before. I worked in corporate America, but the community and podcasting is so super supportive and very cool and just opening doors to meeting people that I would have never met before.
0: Totally, yeah.
1: What advice would you give to someone who wants to start a podcast? Is there anything that you would say to them to to push them ahead if they were uh, hesitant about doing it?
0: Yeah, my advice is always the same for this. Just do it. So many people make excuses for why they can't uh, or why they can't start now. And I feel like... You can learn from your mistakes and missteps versus all the planning and excuses that you would make in the meantime. And the community does exist out there with very little effort in looking for them, be it, you know, the great Facebook groups, some of the ones that I found myself, so many amazing tutorials. That people have created. There was a great one recently from PRX and Google, uh, just put a great podcasting 101 class together that was really meant for any audience. You know, the less you know, the better coming into this almost, because. So many of us start from replicating other shows that we like until we find our voice and then we start slowly rebranding or uh, changing our focus of our audio. Uh, But truly, there's no reason to not do this. Uh, Your voice is not only welcome, but it's wanted out there. There are people that are just like you is, Is Fringe as you think your interests are, it's very easy to find a community. So record yourself, find that audience online, tell them about what you're doing. I say it all too often, but there aren't those gatekeepers. The only person holding you back at this point is you.
1: Yeah, you're the one holding the key, basically. So.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: What do you wish you had known when you started podcasting? Is there anything that you would have gone back and said, "This is something that we should have started with," or no regrets, just keep going and learning from your mistakes, basically?
2: Well, I think I think the the learning from, uh, I mean, trial and error or mistakes is even like maybe too strong a a way to say it because it's like, for me, I'm used to writing for theater. I'm used to performing for theater. And all of a sudden I was like, how do I, how do I write for audio? And I, I think that the comparison from, and you know, maybe Elise can speak to this too, just having the, the words come out of her mouth, you know, I think the, the transition between when I was working on the first season up till now, has really been about listening back and looking back and figuring out uh, more and more specific ways to make this writing for the medium. I don't think there have been any like huge missteps or anything. It's just been about refining and refining and refining and that's been really fun to be able to do. And I think that speaks to what Nate was just saying in a great way is like if I had tried to write an episode perfectly, I never could have done it. I didn't know how to write for audio. And now I do. And I'm learning, you know, more and more every day thinking about working on other shows. And if I, if I hadn't agreed to start working on this, um, Again, you know, I was the only person holding me back. So it's, it's nice to look at the difference and, and see the growth of specificity. And I don't know, maybe we have something to say about like how the.
3: Yeah, no, honestly, I agree, especially about refining, because I came into this show thinking I was going to do research. I had no idea I was going to be behind a microphone. I've never done radio or voiceover work of any kind. And so it's been a lot of just going back and listening to the episodes. Hearing ways that I inflect things or my cadence that doesn't quite sound right in my ear and then next time trying to do a little bit better and trying to do a little bit better every episode and just learning from learning from learning because that's really all it's been for me.
0: Yeah, I agree with both of those answers so much. And the only thing that I would add is I was so scared uh, at first that the audience wouldn't come and, you know i'm very lucky because of some other podcast and industry connections that i have that we got a lot of press a lot of press right out of the gates was it deserved or not i don't know but i really took advantage of every relationship that i had but i wasn't always trusting that the audience was going to be there and then you know, all it took was our first season. And after that, we exploded a little bit and it felt, well, you know, by my standards and it felt really good. So, you know, I think trust trusting that, uh, you know, we were doing something that sounded great to us and the audience would eventually connect with it and we'd find those. So that's the one thing I wish I would have known as I was getting into Children's media is the audience really will come. And the great thing about children, they talk about the stuff that they like. So, our best marketing hasn't been necessarily anything that I'm doing, it's been about children being fans of the show and they will tell. Everyone in their third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade networks, which has been great. And then the other part is, you know, social media has been pretty huge for us and not neglecting the fact that the key to social media is about being social and making those friends in other fellow podcasters, making those friends in the press and people that will actually write about us. And they are genuine relationships. You know, we've had some great people that are fans of the show that I'm still talking to pretty regularly because they want to hear about what's going on with the show. I want them to introduce me to new content and hear what's happening in their careers. And uh, we've really built a lot of great friends because of the show. So again, for me, if I could look back uh, with one thing, I would just say, trust that you'll find the audience uh, and the people that you're meant to.
1: I agree. And, uh, you know, touching on what Eleanor uh, mention And also, Elise, uh, as a writer myself, I'm a, more of an article writer, but I tend to go back and reread my articles and pick them apart. And the same thing yeah. with my podcast and listening to my voice and listening to how my interviews go and the questions that I ask and how I ask them. Is there a way to make it better? Yes, there's always a way to make your article better or your voice better. So yeah. I think going back and, and reflecting is a, a good thing too. So I would like to um, ask if you have anything else that you would like to promote or share about yourselves individually.
0: I'll start because they're both looking at me like, oh, what am I going to... And they both have a million things that they do. So I'm working on a a series of other podcasts right now, some of which I can talk about, some of which haven't been announced yet. Um, But I have, and this is very much the opposite of what we do, uh, a comedy show intended for adults called My Neighbors Are Dead with one of my creative partners, Adam Peacock. It's a comedy show where we... Interview the tertiary or side characters that you haven't seen from horror films about their take uh, on those events. And we've got a lot of great comedians that have been on that show tawny Newsom, janet varney paul f tompkins mark evan jackson you know so many of our our friends and people that were huge fans from the world of comedy and horror that have been great on that show and then right now i'm also producing a weekly conversational podcast called here's a situation where tj jagodowski and rush howell for my money and pretty well credited as two of the Greatest improvisers, not just in Chicago, but of all time at this point. I mean, TJ Jagodowski as part of the TJ and Dave improv group has played all over the world in some of the most beautiful, patient, and hilarious improvised comedy I think ever performed. And that show, Here's a Situation, it's a joy to be editing every single week. So those are my two plugs. What do you two have?
3: Man, I... It's true, I do have a thousand things going on, but nothing that's ready to promote, you know? It's like I'm sort of in limbo with a lot of things. I'm applying to grad school. I'm still collecting stories and making work. I guess if you want to check out my personal artwork, you can look me up. My website is com. I'm always happy to have questions about that. Um,
2: but yeah, that's my life's all over the place a little bit. <laughs> My primary project, other than working on Sonsington stuff, is a theater company called The Syndicate, and we are an ensemble theater company that produces new plays by women, queer, and trans people, and we work in Chicago and New York, we help writers develop their scripts, we help workshop them, we do full productions. So lots of uh, different phases of very new play development. And it's exciting because the way that I work on an unspookable script and then the way that I work with the syndicate on a new play, it's it's very similar. And I'm like happy to have my hands in all these different mediums. So the syndicate, you can reach at wearethesyndicate.com and learn about all of our upcoming stuff.
1: So how can people find Unspookable on social media and listen to it ultimately?
0: Unspookable is available wherever you get podcasts. So obviously Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, one of our largest audiences outside of Apple right now has been Spotify, which we very much tied to the age of our audience. But we've got to do a hard push for Kids Listen and sending people to their website, which I believe is kidslisten.org. Uh, And then on social media, I'm unspookable on Twitter and unspookable podcast on Instagram.
1: And is there anything else that you'd like to share about unspookable that I didn't ask?
0: Nope, just I think it's a a great show, uh, not just for the scary stories and the stories behind it, but for a wide range of audiences as well. We get just as many emails and contact from parents and children as we do non-parents. You know, guardians across the board reach out to us, but uh, we have just as many people that, uh, you know, don't have any relationship to kids reach out and saying that they're fans of the show.
1: Well, I thank you so much for the three of you joining me on Your Podcast or Mine. Nate, Elise, and Eleanor, I appreciate it so much. And I hope everyone listens to the podcast. It's great fun for kids of all ages, including myself. I've enjoyed listening to the episodes, and I'm looking forward to what 2020 brings.
0: Well, Sherry, thank you so much for having us.
1: Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you. And to everyone listening to your podcast or mine, we'll chat soon. Hey, guys. My name is Tara.
3: And my name is Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me. For you to enjoy it while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on.